Great to see you. Thanks very much. Thanks again for yesterday. Um, the pancake thing, the governing board and elders, thanks very much for doing that. I think Carol Heidorn and Doug Adams spearheaded that. It was a blast. I mean, we're already getting requests for an encore, so that's a lot of fun. Um, and really, I said this in my tours, but if you weren't in the tours, what you felt yesterday in the, uh, in the gym is that's exactly the feeling we want in the narthex when you come in. I mean, that's exactly it. What you want to do is have time to hang out with your friends. I know your weeks are difficult. I know you work hard. I know you're worried about your teenagers. I know you think about your kids. I know you're working on your marriage. I know that sometimes work is stressful. You come here so that you can be with this family, and we're going to talk a little bit about family today. You come here so you can be with this family, and just at least for a moment, everything can be forgiven, and everything can be at peace. And yesterday, you know, that... And this, I just want to be clear, you know, it was not a bust on you if you weren't there. I understand that there's, it was the last week of soccer, I get that, and I know that people work, and I know, so it's nothing about that. All it is is we had a great experience, and, you know, let's have another great experience and come back for it, because that's what we're trying to do. And really, um, that's the aim. Uh, the people who are working on the Narthex area, you know, they're trying to, they're working real hard to try to make it a comfortable kind of elegant but easy place where you can just come with your friends and just relax for a little bit, where you can just have some peace, where things would just, you know, kind of all fit together. And all these lessons we're working on, if you can kind of pull them together and say, you know, this is the kind of family we want to be, this is the kind of community we want to be. If you think back to what we've done, we want to live in the resurrection, we want to live in truth, we want to live together. I mean, that's, that's what we're aiming at, and, you know, none of us are perfect, not me, not you, but what we're trying to do is create a space where we can all kind of live forgiven and kind of overlook each other's, you know, you know, we've all got things that we want to be able to overlook that and come with joy. And yesterday was a great example of people who just came, you know, kids are running everywhere and pancakes are hitting the rafters and people are having fun and you know, that's, that's the feeling you want because just for a moment, you know, just for a moment, everything is okay. And what you want in your church is you want to be able to come and say, you know, just for a moment, everything is okay and better than okay. That's, that's what you're aiming for. And I just, I can't tell you enough. I mean, I don't know, it's that old thing uh, where it's not that Christianity's been tried and failed, it's that it's not been tried. But for our little space, you know, if we could just try it, you know, if we could just try forgiving each other, if we could just kind of try being patient, if we could try persevere, and if we could try being generous, if we could try tithing, if we could try, you know, adoring the Eucharist, if we could try educating our kids, if we could try being nice to our wives, if we could just try to be patient with our kids, if we could just try it, you'd have a space, you, you know, you couldn't believe what it would be like. And just, you know, you only have one life, your heart's beating, you only got so many heartbeats, just try it, just try one place in all your life where you could make, you know, you could make a room full of people, a family full of people, where everything would be okay where everybody could feel forgiven and loved, where things would be calm and peaceful and hopeful. That's what we're aiming for. And, you know, almost automatically that happened yesterday. So I'm very grateful to those of you who came. And for you who didn't come, you know, come the next time. I'm sure we'll do it again. It was, a, it was just a very, very nice thing. Um, in a mo we'll pray in a moment. I'll send this around for blind outreach. Don't start early, Dan. No cheating ahead. And then uh, we should, I always forget to hand out the, attendance things, and there's not a pencil on there, so that shows we need more organization. <laughs> Mr. Marcus, can you pull a pencil out of your hat? You know you can't. Tell you what, steal that pencil down there and blame it on somebody else. Because, um, you know, that's the way things work. <laughs> steal that and blame it on somebody else. It's in the, it's in the reading for a day, don't worry. Uh, okay.
And then let's pray. Here we go. O God, whose almighty power is made known chiefly in showing mercy and pity, grant us the fullness of your grace that we may be partakers of your heavenly treasures through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Then there's Mr. Hansen, your president, who's your guest storyteller for today. It does feel like we should have a fire and marshmallows, but uh, you know we'll just have to go with this. No fire inside. This is, the church. It's going to just be like this. I am sorry to see you again today because <laughs> I really uh, would like to have uh, some other people up in front, and it didn't work out today. But uh, I promise you that from time to time you'll see some other faces besides mine up here. Uh, thanks to Jen for doing this last week and uh, there'll be some other faces as we uh, continue through this series. Jacob, Jacob was scared to death of his big brother Esau. He thought that Esau wanted to kill him. And he had a good reason to feel that way because Jacob had tricked and manipulated their father Isaac and he cheated Esau out of the birthright that was really due to him. And Esau was terribly angry about this. Now that's a story for another time. But Esau was so mad that Jacob had not only left town, he left the country and he went and he lived with a guy named Laban. And he not only lived with Laban, but he worked for Laban. He married a couple of Laban's girls. And uh, while all this was happening, even though he didn't deserve it, the Lord was very good to Jacob. And he blessed him and Jacob became very rich. After about 20 years, the Lord came to Jacob and he said, Jacob, it's about time for you to go home. I want you to go back to the land where your family is from, and I'd like you to go back to the place that I gave to your grandpa. His grandpa was Abraham, and to your dad, Isaac. He said, I want you to go back there again. And Jacob said, well, okay, I'll do that. And the Lord said, if you do that, I'm going to go with you, I'll be with you, I'll take care of you, and I'm going to bless you. Jacob said, okay, but I'm still scared to death because Esau wants to kill me. So before he left, Jacob sent some messengers to Esau to pay his respects, to send a greeting, and to find out what Esau was up to and how hot he still was about everything that had happened. So the messengers come back to Jacob. And Jacob says, what did he say, what did he say? The messenger said, Esau said he's coming to meet you. And he's got 400 guys with him. Jacob said, oh, man, this is as bad as I thought. He's going to come and kill me and my family and the rest of you servants. And who knows about the animals, because he had tons of animals. So he was really upset. Um, but we know that Jacob was a crafty kind of guy. So it wasn't long before he came up with a plan. And there were three parts to his plan. He said, the first thing we're going to do is divide up into two groups. That way, when Esau comes and attacks us, some of us will get away. Obviously, some of us are going to get killed and wiped out, but at least the other group can get away, and uh, maybe that's the best we can make of it. And the second part of his plan was he decided to say a little prayer. So he prayed to the Lord, and he said, Lord, you've taken real good care of me, even though I didn't deserve it. He said, when I came this way the first time, all I had was the cloak on my back, and now look at I'm rich and prosperous and you've taken care of me so far, but you promised that if I go back again, you'd still be with me and bless me. Uh, so I wanted to remind you of that. 
And then the third part of his plan was this. He said, maybe if I give Esau a little present, he won't be quite so mad at me, and maybe he won't kill me and kill the rest of you guys. So he said, what could I give Esau? He said, I've got a lot of animals. Maybe I'll give Esau some animals. So he said, I think goats would be nice. He said, bring me 200 goats. So they brought him 200 nanny goats. And he said, well, that's not enough. I want some billy goats, too. So they, he had 200 nanny goats, and they brought him 20 billy goats. And he said, well, that's a good start. He said, I think we need some sheep. So he had his shepherds pick out some sheep, 200 nice ewes. And then uh, he said, we need some rams to go with that. So they picked out uh, 200 rams for the ewes. Okay. So now he's got goats, billy goats, nanny goats, ewes, and, and rams. He said, a good start, uh, but we need some more stuff in here. He said, I think camels would be nice. Let's get some camels out here. So he got out uh, 30 mother camels, and they had a bunch of baby camels. So now he's got three little herds lined up. He said, that's still not enough. Uh, I've got cows. I want to give Esau some cows. Esau likes cows. We're going to give Esau a bunch of cows. So how many cows did he give him? He gave him 40 cows. And he said, we need some bulls, so let's put 10 bulls in the, in the herd with him. Okay? So now we've got four herds lined up. And he said, we're almost there. Uh, what should we do to finish up donkeys? Everybody likes donkeys. Okay? So we're going to get uh, 20 girl donkeys and 10 boy donkeys. So he had all these animals together. And he said, let's make a parade. Let's do this in an orderly way, okay? herd by herd. So he's, he had a lot of people working for him. He said, OK, shepherds, I want you to take care of the sheep flock. And I uh, have some cowboys. And the cowboys, I want you to take care of the cows. And the rest of you servants of mine, I, you, know, you divide up and each one take a group. I want you to go separately, herd by herd, in a row, in a procession. And when you get to Esau, and Esau says, what's all this? You say, well, this is just a little present from your, uh, from your little brother Jacob, because he wanted to show you his respect and tell you that, he's, uh, that he likes you. So they set all off. And then um, Jacob got his own family together, Rachel and, Esau, or Rachel and, uh, and Leah and the boys and a few servants. And he escorted them over a little brook that was there, the brook called Jabbok. And maybe you heard that in the service this morning. So they went over the brook Jabbok, and they, he sent them on his way. And he said, I'm going to stay back here tonight. I'm going to stay one more night here. So Jacob spent one more night at that place. And during the night, a man came, and he started to wrestle with Jacob. And they wrestled all night long until dawn. Nobody got the upper hand. Jacob never said uncle, and the other guy never won. And it just went on and on. And finally, uh, when the night was over, the man touched Jacob on the hip put his hip out of joint, and Jacob went lame. Well, uh, Jacob, uh, you know, that kind of ended, uh, ended the wrestling match. The guy said, it's getting light out here. I've got to leave. And Jacob said, you're not going anywhere until you give me a blessing. The guy said, what's your name? And Jacob said, my name is Jacob. And the man said, not any longer. He said, from here on, your name is going to be Israel. And here's why. He said, you've tangled with God, and you've tangled with man, and you've come out on top. So your name from here on is going to be Israel. And then the man uh, uh, was about to leave, and Jacob said, wait a minute. What's your name? And the guy said, do you really have to ask me that? And the man left, 
and Jacob, who is now lame, he limped off fast as he could until he caught up with the rest of the procession that was headed back towards Esau. And he finally caught them and they traveled along and before too long he saw Esau coming toward them with the 400 guys that he had with him. And he was scared to death and so he, he, he got Rachel and Leah and the boys and he split them up again. He said, each of you take half the kids, okay, and, and drop back a little bit further and I'll go on ahead. And so Jacob went on ahead, and as he went, he was bowing and groveling, looking very humble. And Esau saw him coming. So Esau took off running, and he got to Jacob, and he grabbed him, and he gave him a big hug. And they kissed each other on both cheeks. And they started to cry because they were so glad to see each other again, look each other in the face. And so that went on for a bit, and then uh, Esau said, by the way, what's with all these animals? What's with the billy goats? And, he, and Jacob said, well, it's a little present for you. I thought if I gave you a present, maybe you wouldn't be too hard on me. And Esau said, you don't need to do that. I've got plenty of animals of my own, and I'm glad to see you. And Jacob said, well, I'm glad to see you too. And uh, I insist that you take these animals. I, I insist, and insist that you accept my gift, because if we're square with each other, then looking you in the face again is like looking on the face of God. Esau said, let's go home, brother. Let's go home together. And, Esau, and Jacob said, well, uh, I'm not sure. He said, why don't we split up because I've got all these kids and these baby camels and we can't keep up with you. So let's just go separately. You go on ahead and we'll follow behind. So that's what they did and they headed back towards the land of Edom. And uh, on the way, on the way, the Lord came to Jacob again and he said, I'd like you to stop at a place called Bethel and I'd like you to worship me. So Jacob talked to all the folks that were with him, all his servants and his family, and he said, okay, everybody get cleaned up. We're gonna go to worship. And by the way, get rid of all those idols that you have. So they did that and they got to Bethel and they built an altar and they worshiped the Lord. And the Lord came to Jacob again and he said, I wanted to remind you that I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna bless you and that your new name is Israel and that your family and your descendants are gonna become a mighty nation. And then they went on from Bethel towards the land of Edom. But on the way, Rachel, who was pregnant, gave birth to a son, and they named that boy Benjamin. But it was a difficult labor for Rachel, and she died in childbirth. And so Jacob buried her at that place, and he raised a monument. He raised a pillar there uh, to remember his wife, Rachel. And then they continued on. And a little town grew up close to the place where Rachel lay. Over the years, a town grew up. And the name of that town was Bethlehem. What sort of a man would walk away at that point? <laughs> uh, Mr. Marcus, can you help me? Just, you know, you're not, you don't have to be guided by this. I've been puzzling all week long what to do with this. Better to ask you, okay, so now what are we going to do with that story? Because uh, you got more than a couple of chapters. Uh, I ended up reading about ten chapters getting ready for this, but if you were going to say, you know, what that story is about, what would you say that that story is about? What do you say? Anybody want to play? It is in a sense about forgiveness. Very good. Okay. 
It is about fear, and those two things often go together. So kind of now hold these in the air. So we've got fear and forgiveness, Marilyn? It is about God's faithfulness, so thank you very much. So we've got, how are we going to put all this together? Faithfulness, fear, and forgiveness. Uh, keep going. Anybody else? It is about obedience in some sense, and that's going to be a very interesting way to attack this story, um, that this is about obedience. What else have you got? Yes, please. It is about reunion. Uh, can I press you here a little bit? How families fit together in this particular case? Good. Uh, go ahead. Anybody else? It is about redemption. Good. Go. It is about resurrection. And Jeanette? <coughs> yes, we do tend to do that sometimes. Think of the worst scenario instead of the best scenario. That's. Now, I, you know, we want to quiz about why, why we do that. What else have you got? It is about reconciliation. Good. Guilt. It is about guilt. There's a fair bit of guilt going on there, and uh, people are driven by guilt sometimes. What else? Generosity. There is generosity, and actually a very specific generosity. Good. What else have you got? Perseverance. Perseverance is good, too. Um, in what sense, though? Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, good. Yes, please. God is God's commitment to his people. Good. Anything else? Trust. Trust. Good. Yes, please. Resurrection? It is about resurrection. There is a story in, and you know, gosh, you know, the end with Bethlehem being the place where uh, she's buried is really quite remarkable. Anything else? Now, okay, so you be me, which is, uh, if you want to talk about the story, what is it that could hold the whole story together? And one of the interesting things about you, this is one of the fun things about St. John, you're a very sophisticated group, and um, you, you know a lot of Bible stories, you know a lot of doctrine, and that's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, so one of the things that happens is when you read a story, you see a lot of dimensions that perhaps other people wouldn't see. Uh, but then you come to a group like this and you sort of say, what could hold the story together in a way that we could remember this story? Because what we're trying to do, these stories have a purpose. The purpose of these stories is these are the things we want to carry with us as a group. And, you know, we want to live in the things we discover in these stories. So how could that happen? If you were going to say, what could possibly hold all of those things together, how would you talk about that? Any ideas? And one of the things I'd love for you to do is um, the next level beyond the words that we're used to, redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation, resurrection, the next level beyond that, imagine you need to explain that to a person who walks into the church for the first time and says, what's St. John about? Or you bump into somebody at Starbucks. Um, this is what the two young pastors are particularly good at. They're able to translate the stuff that happens here into normal language for people they bump into all the time. That's why, real honestly, our new members class, almost everybody's under the age of 35. Because they're able to communicate. That's why there's so many young people yesterday when we had pancakes together, because somehow they understand the story. So when you think about these stories, it's good to see all those disparate things, because all of those things are in there. But if you were going to hold the story together, 
how would you hold the story together? Got any ideas? Yes, Bruce. Uh, Good. Uh, good. Okay. So let's just go with that a little bit. Um, let me push you now and let me put a couple of things together. Everybody likes a fresh start. I mean, I like a fresh start. You like a fresh start. It's why in this congregation we always have the confession and forgiveness of sins. Sometimes if you notice, if you travel on vacation as, or as I did or if you send your kids off to college or if you visit with friends, often churches don't have confession and forgiveness anymore. And that's a real sadness because that's always a fresh start. So I want to go behind your question a little bit and ask you, let me ask you this. Um, why do we need a fresh start? And you, you know, that's an obvious question, but I want to ask you this. And I know what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you this and then you're going to give me a lot of confirmation answers and I'm going to try to back you off those, okay? But if I ask you, what's the basic difference between God and us? Uh, give me an answer. Give me an answer in the way that somebody you bump into at Starbucks would understand it. Okay? Now, here's the thing. If you go to holiness right away, people have no idea about that because here's the thing. They all think they're okay. So what's the basic difference? There can be a range of issues here, or a range of ways to describe this, but see if you can think of a way that would hit home with somebody who doesn't know about Jesus. Go ahead, Bruce. Okay, good. Oh, good. And you are right. Um, now, why do we always get it wrong, and why does God always get it right? I want to push you a little bit here. I want to push you to the point that somebody who doesn't know anything about Jesus would understand, or doesn't know anything about this story. Because here's the story. This is a story about families that break apart, and this is about families, as you said, that get a fresh start and come back together. You can talk about churches that way. Churches break apart. Churches come back together. Families break apart. Families. So my initial question to you is, God's family doesn't break apart. The Holy Trinity never breaks apart. So why do churches break apart? Why do families break apart? Why do things break apart? And the question, the answer to that would be, what's the difference between Jesus and us? I'm just working on something. We go there and then over there. Go ahead, Lindsay. Because... Big voice. Because we put ourselves first. Great. Um, now I'm going to come. I'm going to go over here, but I'm going to come back to you and ask, how do you know, or what's the action that we do that puts ourselves first? So there was somebody over here. Was it Jeanette or Karen? Karen. We forget. We forget Good. Okay. So let's. That's down the line a little bit. So let's come back to that in a little bit. That's going to be the post forgiveness comment. Yes, Jeanette. Good. So, um, so now I'm going to press. I'm going to press both the, both of you, which would be, um, what is the? You're right, but you're still talking too much like a pastor. So I'm going to try to shake you out of that. Okay. So it is true that the Lord always deals with us in love, but when you kind of say love, nobody knows what that means. Okay. So I'm going to. I'm. I really want to. I'm trying to push you hard to define your terms because love can mean everything from a feeling to obedience, but I want to talk about. I want to talk about. You're right, but I want you to talk more like a human being. Don't talk like a church person. It is always a verb, so it does have to do with action. So good, you're getting closer now. Jack, you want to have a run? Did you raise your hand or was it Maddie? Yeah, I, I was thinking about it before, but I was thinking about it. Good, 
Okay, so if we're full of ourselves, there's no room for God. Mr. Hopkins, did you have something? Thank you very much. It says, well, when we can't do it as expected, God always does it. So I'll just put it to you this way. I've been puzzling a lot about the difference between God and me and the difference between God and you. Try this. It doesn't have to be right. Uh, many of the things that I say to you and many of the things I talk with the other pastors, I often go and say, hey, try this. What do you think? Is this true or not? Um, the difference between God and us, see if it can, and when you get one of these and it works, it's like your whole world is turned around because you have a way to hold on to the world in a simple way. The difference between God and us is that God always does what he says and we don't. How's that? Now here, try this. This is how the story started. And, and you know, it was such a big story that Joe told. Uh, you know, and he told, a, he told a great bit of it. I just want to push you back just a little bit behind that story. Do you remember, do you remember, and you're going to have to work at this, because if you don't remember this, it's no shame, but you remember that their mother was pregnant with twins, right? They were twins, Esau and Jacob. You remember this, right? Who's the older twin? Esau's the older twin, and in the Middle East, in this culture, what does the older twin get? He gets the birthright now, but what's the birthright? So what does he get? He gets cash, he gets land, he gets blessing, he gets double portions, okay? But you remember there was a prophecy before they were born. The prophecy was what? You know, you, you paid attention to Sunday school. You are a very good woman. The prophecy was the younger will, the older will serve the younger. So we're going to flip things on their ear. But then, of course, part of the fun was um, when Jacob got his name, what does his name mean? Cheater. Cheater. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you get a little bit of a foreshadowing of what happens. So basically, let me put this to you. The basic thing is, is, is the Lord says, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that's how things are going to work out. I'm going to work things out, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So Abraham... Isaac, and you remember the story, if you haven't read Gainick's book on this, you should read Gainick's book on this, it's brilliant. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob comes, and instead of relaxing into the notion that somehow the Lord will keep his word, somehow the Lord will work it out, somehow the Lord will have the younger on top and the older on bottom, somehow that the older will serve the younger, Jacob, cheats. And he cheats because why? He cheats because he doesn't really believe that God will keep his word. Okay? Simple as that. He just doesn't believe that God will keep his word. Now just hold that for a second. And one of the things about reading the scriptures is it's always easy to say, well, if I'd have been Peter, I'd have never denied Jesus. Or if I'd have been, you know, here's the thing. Yes, you would have. You're bums. You would have. I'm a bum too. It's easy to say, oh, if I'd have been Jacob and the Lord would have talked to me, I'd have been fine. No, you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have because I know you and you know me and we do this all the time. We do this with our own families. We do this in our church. We do it with our kids. We do it at work. We lose, we lose sight of the fact that the Lord will work things out for us. And when we lose sight, and, and here's the thing. I'm going to just put it as basically as I can. When we now, now pick up all the things that you talked about, when we lose sight of the fact that the Lord will keep his word, then we don't believe in resurrection, then we don't live in reconciliation, then we're unwilling to forgive, 
then we're unwilling to uh, remember our redemption. What were the other things you said? You said about 10 things. All of those things go by the board. When you no longer believe, the Lord will keep his word. If the Lord will keep his word, you don't need to be angry because the Lord will work it out. If the Lord will keep his word, you don't need to cheat because it'll, the Lord will work it out. If the Lord will keep his word, you can tithe 10% right off the top because the Lord will give you enough. If the Lord will keep his word, you can come to church every Sunday and forget about the stuff you do when you skip church because the Lord will work it out. Do you see how this works? It's extraordinarily practical. With every sin, what you're suggesting is exactly what Jacob suggests, which is the Lord will not keep his word. Does that make sense? Just practice that and see if that works. You can just, here's the thing, you don't have to believe me, you just test it. This week when you go through your life and you do something you shouldn't have done, you say something you shouldn't have said, you skip church, you feel greedy, you cheat somebody, you tell a lie, you know, you, you're not kind where you should be kind. Ask yourself if the reason that you're doing that isn't because you don't really believe that the Lord is going to work it out for you. All of sin is we don't really believe that the Lord is going to work it out. So we take matters into our own hands, and that's what Jacob did. So you remember the story. Does anybody remember the story of what he does? Remember, Isaac says, hey, it's time to give the blessing. I'm an old man. I'm about to drop dead. He says to Esau, let's go cook me something up. Rebecca hears this. She's in on it, too. She says, hey, you know what? While Esau's out there hunting, you know, find yourself a lamb, put on the furry stuff, make, make yourself smell like your brother, trick your old dad who can't see. And remember, he comes in, and he gives the blessing. Jacob leaves, and then Esau comes in and says, I'm here. And then the most remarkable thing is, and you'd think, Esau would just, or you'd think Isaac would just say, well, it's just a do-over. No way, because Esau says, I already blessed him. There's nothing I can do about it. I've invoked the name of the Lord, and that's going to stand. And that's why there's this great anger, okay? Because Esau feels like he got cheated out of what he deserved. However, that's a wrong feeling because he never deserved it anyway. The Lord decided he was going to give it to Jacob, and if the Lord decides he's going to give it to Jacob, that's what the Lord's going to do. So Esau sins because he won't get out of the way. Jacob sins because he short-circuits what the Lord wants to do and figures out his own way. Esau sins, or I'm sorry, Isaac sins because he's blessing the wrong guy. Rebecca sins because she tells a lie because she doesn't think the Lord should get it done. You know, Jacob sins because he flees to Laban's place and breaks up the family. And then you get this, um, do you remember, Joe, how many years was it? How, he was 20 years, you said that. Because it took him 14 years, seven years for each wife, right? And there was an initial period, right? A little period there. So he's, he's away 20 years. So we were talking in the back today, the pastors and Joe. Um, how come Esau is so happy when he comes back? You got any ideas? What would you say? Because Esau says, I mean, I give you the text here, but Esau says, if I see him, I'll kill him. I mean, he makes an oath, I'm going to kill him, which is obviously a sin too because he's killing, it's a patriarch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You're killing the Lord's plan if you kill him. So I don't know, what do you say? Why do you think Esau changed his mind? Got an idea? He does love his brother, but how do you love a brother who's really punked you? Do you have brothers? I got three. Good, you come to the revelation that he's your brother, and frankly, I'm just going to 
sum it this way, the anger's not worth it. How's that? So I just, you know, if you're nurturing anger, go ahead and let it drop out of your hands this morning. It's just not worth it. Anger is going to take you someplace that's going to always make you miserable. Just let it go. That's not, and I'm going to put it that, that's not the way of the Lord. That's not what the Lord wants. The Lord doesn't want anger. David. Speculation. There is speculation. Go ahead. Yeah, um, so there's speculation about maybe maybe Esau come to, came to some realization he, uh, who he's mad to. I just I just want to ask you about that. Um, I'm having a love-hate relationship with blame. Uh, in one sense, blame is a very good Christian category. It's a very good biblical category. People get blamed for things. And if you never get blamed for anything, you don't own up to them. So one of the odd things I've noticed in um, kind of the 21st century is how easily we overlook things, but we don't really overlook them. We just sort of push them down. One of the, and I've I often, I've got several, many of you are in business, and, and um, boy, I'm just going to say this. One of the things I've observed about business speak is it's a lot of lying. How's that? There, I just said it, and you know, I'll just say it. And that's one of the differences. We have a lot of business guys who are very good and in leadership positions. One of the things I often notice the difference between pastors and business guys, one of the criticisms the business guys has of us is we're too sharp. One of the criticisms we have as them is they don't tell the truth. Now, part of the problem, you have to hear this in the right way. I'm not saying your leaders are liars, okay? So just sort of, just sort of hear me out on this. One of the things that I find interesting is that people don't tell the truth in all of it. Like they get really peeved about something, but they don't actually spell out why they're peeved, and they don't really assign blame where it belongs. I'll just say the other side, the criticism of us is we're too eager and good at that. So I've been puzzling for years about that, how that should work out. It's a different way of seeing the world. But one of the things I've really noticed about how we speak in business, how we speak in the law, how we speak in, like this morning I turned on, you know, I'm, I'm up early on Sundays and I always just click the TV on softly and kind of watch the news at, you know, about six, a little after six. And of course there were political ads going on. And uh, are you sick of that yet? <laughs> and I'm thinking, gosh, does that sound like me? Because believe me, if there's anything they're good at, it's putting the blame on. <laughs> you know, you just think no people can be that bad. You know, you're, you're looking at these, and you have guys talking, and you're thinking, come on, you don't really mean that, you don't really. So I guess what I would, I, one of the things I'm puzzling over, so I want to, I don't think the pastors are all the way wrong. I actually don't think the business guys are all the way wrong either. Um, I think the biblical answer is something where it says, um, speak the truth in love is probably the right answer, and we all need to kind of gather around that. One of the things I'm scared of is when we don't say enough, and I wonder if Esau, there is a point um, I, I'm not a believer that time heals. Uh, time doesn't heal by itself. Time doesn't heal. Only confession heals. And yet there is a wisdom and a maturity of things where you get a little more patient and you're willing to overlook a little bit more. And I think we're, we're all willing to say that. So I just want to observe that in, in all of our dealings with each other. I wonder if we can, I wonder if we can make the goal somehow 
um, speaking the truth in love. The really is truth, so the really is sin, and the really is blame, and the really is accountability. But there also really is forgiveness, and there really is redemption, and there really is resurrection, and there really is fresh start. And if we can all, from all directions, learn to do that, probably our families and our church would be better. Yes, Jack? I want to say a word Okay, good. It's always everybody should have a defender. Atta boy. Did you get all that? So sometimes we, we sort of um, shape our words a bit so we're not perceived as being intolerant. Now let me just, I like to always go to the winning side, so let me talk for the liars too. Uh, I think partially we can be so, so harsh with people, we can be overly harsh with people, we can be harsh beyond where, where it's helpful, is that right? So somehow we have to find this middle ground where we speak honestly and we name things what they are. But we can only do that if we actually believe that there's resurrection and redemption on the other side. And here's the other thing. Partly it's easy to be the guy who always points out everybody else's faults, is it not? It's an easy, it's easy to, um, it's easy to be the law guy. It's easy to do that. So I, I guess I'm sort of pleading for honesty. But I don't, I'm not suggesting that anybody has cornered that market. But I think there are, you know, something happened in those 20 years. I think there is some measure of tolerance in growing up, but I also think there is some measure of honesty because things don't just go away unless they're confessed. We have to try to read the story in that direction. Yes, please. If you don't tell people the truth, you don't really love them. Because if you don't tell people the truth, you let them lie in their sin. If I know you, David, and I know you have a horrible sin that you just don't see, if I don't come to you and tell you that, it, I hate you, I don't love you. That makes sense? But I, if I also tell you the truth in a way that destroys you, that's another way of hating you. Right? So not telling you is a way of hating you, and telling you in a way that just utterly breaks you is a way of hating you. The middle ground is to find a way. You know, it's, it's always hard because uh, this time runs out so quickly. But, so I want to argue for the fact that, um, let, me, let me argue for a couple, I want you to test this idea. The difference between God and us is that God always does what he says, and we don't always do what we say if we don't believe that. If Jacob would have believed that God would do what he said, he would have acted very differently. He wouldn't have stolen the blessing. He wouldn't have had to flee. He wouldn't have had to fear his brother. He wouldn't have gone away from his family for 20 years. He wouldn't have broken um, the whole community. Having said that, guess what? This is a story about a guy who did all those things, and this is a story about the community being restored. And honestly, Esau forgives him for no good reason. We don't know. 
I don't think, I think, um, and Joe, we didn't even talk about this, but I don't, this, this interesting thing where he just keeps sending the animals, I don't think it's so much, I don't think that he bought favor. I don't think that it bought favor. I think what he did was show goodwill. I think what he did was he sort of showed I'm a dis different person than I was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I'd have stolen all that stuff from you, and now I'm giving it all back to you. So I don't think it's a transaction where he sends the animals ahead, and because of that, Esau's happy. Esau actually says to him, I've already got this figured out. I mean, you can send the stuff or not send the stuff, but it's all going to be okay. And I wonder if we all can learn to do that too. I wonder if we can forgive in advance. I wonder if we can change to be the kind of people who are willing to take that risk and even take that pain because we know the Lord will keep his word and will work it out. Does that make sense? So if we can become law-minded people, always want people to pay the last penny, right? And if we always want people to pay the last penny, if Esau would have attacked and made him pay the last penny, the family would have still been broken. I'm not saying that people don't need to be accountable. I'm not saying that blame doesn't matter. I'm not saying that we can lie to people. What I'm saying is get enough truth, truth out there so that people don't, aren't, aren't deluded by the fact that time heals. Time doesn't heal. But the other thing is, is you know, if a young guy like this comes to confession and the pastor just beats on him, there's got to be more. You must have done this. Haven't you ever done that? And what about the last time? You can beat people so badly that they never recover. So the pastoral care, the Jesus care of people, just think about Peter denying Jesus and Jesus just giving him the look as in, I know what you know, and guess what, I'm about to go to the cross and it's going to be okay. There needs to be enough blame, enough accountability that we don't act like sin doesn't matter. On the other hand, what we have to prize more than anything is that God will get it right. And it's very important to say what Jesus says and do what Jesus does. What Jesus says is, I forgive you. And what Jesus does is act in forgiveness. He acts in forgiveness all the way to the cross. And so for us, it's important to actually be able to say, this is what I did and I'm sorry. It actually mattered. It mattered enough that Jesus died on the cross for it. But that's not the last word. The last word is, hey, we're going to be a family again. And all this stuff about you've got to divide your servants and then you've got to divide your family and you've got to be suspicious about whether people are going to kill you. Here's the thing, at some point let them kill you because the Lord will stand by people who are faithful. Not by people who are pious about how faithful they are. Faithful means, and I'm going to swing all the way back to somebody back here who said, faithful means obedience. If you come to church every week, if you go to the Eucharist every week, if you read your scriptures, if you remember your baptism, if you say your prayers, if you give a tithe to the church, if you're generous with the poor, if you care for the weak, if you can give a witness. Why do you believe in Jesus? He just always does what he says, unlike everybody else I've ever met. Or you could put it this way, he's the only person I've ever met in all my life who does what he says. That's a good reason to believe in Jesus. In all the world, there's one guy who keeps his word. That's the thing that'll make you stick together as families and as community. It doesn't mean that the, that the it doesn't mean that, that sin doesn't matter. It matters desperately. But it matter, but what matters more is that Christ died for that and forgives us and gives us a resurrection, gives us a fresh start. And that's what you see in this text. You do in fact see a resurrection. Does that make sense? So what you're holding on going forward is the notion that God will keep his word so you can all relax. 
Just live in what the Lord has given you. Live in the Eucharist. Live in generosity. Live in love. Live in forgiveness. Live in confession. But actually live in it and go forward because the Lord will hold you together. That makes sense? Okay? All right. Love you. Let's uh, pray and then go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you next week. Uh, no idea what we're doing, but it'll be fun. <laughs>